You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. He is risen. He is risen indeed. If you've been around churches for a while, that's something that people would typically say, hey, I hope that you are having a great time this morning. I hope you were able to get a coffee from Starbucks in the lobby. How cool is that? Just a thank you to them for being here, just partnering up with us on that. My name is Dave Flegg. I'm one of the pastors here at Sun Grove Church. And you might have come today with somebody else that they invited you and you came along with them. You might have come here today as your first time and, and maybe you brought somebody with you. And you might have been coming for a while and just still investigating things and thinking about what God is and who he is and how we relate to him. And we just want to say welcome. We're so glad uh, that you are here today. It's just what an awesome day uh, to be in here and to be indoors if it starts raining outdoors a little bit later on. We're going to thank God for moisture uh, if it comes down. Isn't that good news? Hey, if there's one thing we want in life, it's hope. We want hope desperately. I mean, there's enough on the news that will tell about the drought and that gets us down. There's enough on the news that just the stories just kind of detract hope from us. They, they take hope away from us. They let us down. Culture lets us down. People let us down. And let me tell you, there's always plenty of people who are out there just ready to knock you down. You know what I'm saying? They're just ready to give you a shot. They're just ready to just tear you down a little bit with their words or their actions. And we live in a culture where, you know, I was talking to a pharmacist who says, you know, the main medication that I give out are antidepressants. And we're just hungry for hope. We're, we're people who on antidepressants at the time are thinking, if I could just stabilize, then I could get hope in the rest of my life. And it, it's just an indication of our, our culture that we need hope in our lives. We are hungry for hope. And why? Because if you and I have hope, then we have the ability to rise again. Isn't that good news? That if we could just get hope, it gives us the ability to get unstuck and just rise again. If you could give a person, you know, five to 10% hope, then you could radically change their circumstances because it's just that ability to rise again. Well, I've got friends who are in the ministry, they're pastors, and they say, hey, what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do this year on Easter to make this year bigger and better to kind of one up last year's Easter? And they're, you know, they're always asking these questions. And I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous because it's the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Like, how do you one-up that? You can't. There's nowhere else to go, right? I mean, if you're up in overflow, there's nowhere else to go, right? But then right here, it's Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And today, we're going to look at four resurrection accounts, eyewitness accounts of the reality of the, obviously, the death and then the subsequent resurrection of Christ. If you have your Bible, will you open with me to John chapter 20? And we're going to be in that passage predominantly. So if you've got your smartphone or your tablet, anything that has a Bible on it, you want to open it up to John chapter 20. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Jesus, by the way, has been crucified. He's been dead and buried on the third day, this is what happens early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Let me just tell you this. When John is saying the other disciple, he's referring to himself. He's just being humble about it, kind of. Because he's saying, the other disciple, author of this book, 
beat Peter there. I beat him. You know, like, I got there first, right? So he's saying, they both started running for the tomb. The other disciple, me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. That's what the runner-up does, right? I got, I got there first. I touched, I touched the first, you know, gets there a little bit quicker. He bent over, looked at the tomb. Uh, John didn't uh, go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen that would have wrapped his body. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And the scriptures say that he saw and believed. And they still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's, it's such an interesting story. Mary actually goes there. As you look at the, the four gospel accounts, Mary goes there. She's actually ahead of two other ladies who went early in the morning to prepare the body of Jesus for burial because he was crucified, taken down real quick, wrapped up, kind of mummified, put in there. But he had not had spices put on his body as were the custom for Jewish burial. And so they show up thinking, we got to get somebody to roll the stone away. They get there. The stone's already rolled, rolled away, and she just wants closure and the body is gone. She has no idea what to do. And then she goes and tells the other disciples, and that's where this pick up. And, and it's just interesting because it says that John, he says, John can attest for himself. He knew what was going on in the inside. It said that when he saw, he believed. So he could attest for himself, but he doesn't describe what was going on for Peter. Uh, Peter doesn't seem to fully believe until later that day, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. But what happened is Peter's just, he's, he's shocked. He's just marveling at what has happened. He's trying, this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm just still trying to catch up with what's going on here. I, it, I don't get it yet. But John saw, and for him it was instantaneous. He's like, I believe Jesus had to rise from the dead. And he put his faith and his trust in it and believed. Maybe for you, you're like many people who marvel at spiritual things, but if you've not believed in the resurrection and the person of Jesus Christ, you don't yet belong to God. See, there's a reason for the TV shows that you're drawn to. There's a reason for the things, the, the movies or other things that you're drawn to, mystical experiences, spiritualized experiences. And maybe many of you in this room, you, you relish that. You actually marvel when there's the spiritual. You're drawn to it. And there's a part of you that just wants, wants to understand that experience more and to experience it yourself. And maybe over the course of your life, you've had many spiritual, mystical experiences but until you believe in the resurrection and person of Jesus Christ, you don't yet belong to God. You marvel. You marvel at all these things that are going on, but you don't understand that maybe you marvel at the energy of creation, but it, it hasn't led you yet to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the creator. Maybe you've marveled at spiritual experiences you've had, but it hasn't yet let you understand that there is energy and life beyond this life, but it's wrapped up in the originator of life, the author, the perfecter of life. So you marvel, but maybe you have not yet believed. Jesus wants you to understand from what you marvel that he's calling you to relationship. That's so different. It's so different than going to a sporting event where you marvel at how great the game was compared to knowing someone who played in the game. 
And Jesus is saying that these experiences are intended to draw you into relationship with a risen Lord, one who's conquered death, done the impossible, one who is God. John goes on and tells us the second eyewitness account. He refers again to Mary. She stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked you, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Well, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll, I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she ran toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. And said, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What a beautiful picture. Here Mary is, she's, she's looked in, she's not yet believed, she still wants closure. She's like, I came to prepare the body and I, I don't even know what to do with these things I brought and I, I can't even get closure on my grief. In fact, if you rewind who Mary Magdalene is, in the scripture, she doesn't even know where she fits in anymore. She doesn't know where she belongs. She doesn't know where hope is because she was demonized, actually demonized with seven demons that were cast out of her by Christ. She's saying, I understand the very real nature of being controlled and demonized, and the one who freed me from that has been crucified, and now his body's gone, and I don't know where to put it. I put my hope in him, and he's gone. I don't even know who I am. I don't even know where to go from here. And I don't know what you've walked in here with today. You might be grieving. You might be weeping. You might have grief in your life. You might be waiting for God to show up only to realize that he speaks your name and he's revealed himself to you today. He has always known you and Jesus sees you before you see him. Mary turned around. She thought that Jesus was the gardener. And in reality, Jesus is the gardener, isn't he? So interesting that at the beginning of creation, God created a garden in which he created the first people and he had relationship with them and fellowship with them in the garden. And he had relationship just face to face with them. God walked with people and they had perfect relationship free from sin. It had not entered the world. And then sin entered the world in that garden And then just a few nights before this event that we read about today, Jesus is in a garden on the Mount of Olives. And he's crying out to God, the Father, saying, Father, if there's any other way to pay for people's sins and forgive them and wash them away, if there's any other way than me suffering for it, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. He offered himself. He willingly laid down his life. He also has the authority to lay down his life. He has the authority, he says, 
to take up his life again. So Jesus willingly laid down his life in a garden. Now in a garden, Mary is looking. And people ask her twice, who are you looking for? Let me ask you, who are you looking for? Some of you are looking for God in a pair of jeans. Some of you are looking for God in a skirt. Some of you are looking for God in a car. Some of you are looking for God in wealth. Some of you are looking for God in, in a career status or a title. Some of you are looking for, for God in just a family that works. Some of you are looking for God to get your family back together. Some of you have a father wound, and under that wound, you're, you're reaching for almost anything to just parent you and guide you and love you and relate to you and walk you into manhood or womanhood. Who are you looking for? And when Mary admitted who she was looking for, then he said her name. God sees you. He's been there your whole life. He's been reaching for you. And some of you just, oh, that, that feels a little weird because you're like, well, God, where were you when I was abused? God, where were you in the lows of my life? Where were you in these awful times? And the truth is that sin happens because sin entered the world and people sin against people. And when the wrongs are done to us, we say, well, God, where were you? But the truth is he has seen it. He is the avenger. He is the one who ultimately all things are laid bare before him, your sins as well as those who've sinned against you. And he said, it is so wrong. I have to go pay for the sins of the world and make a way for people to have right relationship with me. I love them that much. He could have just written this off. But what does he do? He speaks your name. He loves you. He's known you your whole life in the highs and in the lows and when hope has been disappointed and when you've experienced loss and maybe, maybe like Mary, you're weeping or grieving or waiting for God to show up only to realize that he speaks your name and that he's revealing himself to you today. So what do you do? How do you respond to that? You believe so you can belong to the forever family of God. Well, it goes on a little bit later in that day. The story picks back up in John 20, verse 18. On the evening of that first day of the week, in other words, the same day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side where, remember, a spear was thrust into his side. That would leave quite a mark, wouldn't it? His hands had marks, his feet had marks from nails. And they were, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And Jesus shows up and the disciples are actually overjoyed. In fact, I believe at this moment, that Peter puts his faith and trust in Christ because of the response of the disciples that at the tomb he was just trying to catch up. Wow, what's going on here? It doesn't make sense. This is miraculous. I, I have no idea. And he kind of held out his verdict. But that evening when Jesus walks through the walls and appears to them, Peter puts his faith and his trust. He takes that step of belief in that moment. And I need you to know that you might be hiding. You might be in fear. 
and put walls up in your life, but Jesus is able to walk through your walls to reveal himself and to forgive you. See, you and I do that, don't we? We, we might have a fear of commitment. We might have a fear of people mocking us. We might have a fear of success. You might have a fear of failure. You might have a fear of public speaking. You might have a fear of, of spiders. You might have a fear of lots of fears, right? But there, there's something that when we begin to seek out God, there are certain walls that we put up. You might be hiding. You might be hiding behind your shame. You might be hiding behind full knowledge of the actions of your sin. You might be hiding behind the front that you put out for everybody else. But God has no problem walking through your walls to reach to the real you. And he brings the real him to the real you, not to condemn you. But he walks through your walls to bring peace to you, to bring forgiveness to you, because he wants right relationship with you. And he loves you so much. And so he has no problem walking through the walls that you and I put up to stiff arm him or God or anything in relationship. It's so interesting that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before Jesus died. During his earthly ministry, there was a guy named Lazarus. He had two sisters, and Jesus raised him from the dead. The sisters actually confront Jesus and say, Lord, if you had been here, he would have been healed of his sickness. He wouldn't have died. And but they're weeping, they're grieving, and in that moment they're saying, Lord, if only you had made it here on time. And Jesus takes them out. Well, let's go out to the grave site. They take him out, and he says, listen, roll the stone away. And they didn't want to do it because he, he would smell. He'd been dead for like four days. In fact, the King James Version said, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> and they don't, want to roll the, they don't want to roll the stone away. And here Mary Magdalene's gone the next day saying, who will roll the stone away? They didn't want to do it. And, and so they roll the stone away, and Jesus speaks. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus raises from the dead. He comes out. He's like shuffling out. And Jesus says, go help him get out of his grave clothes. He can't get out of them. He's, he's wrapped up. He's all like, like mummified. And he, I don't even know how good he could see, but he, he needed help getting out of his grave clothes. Jesus Christ didn't need any help getting out of his grave clothes. The same God who could walk through walls made it right out of grave clothes and folded up the headpiece as a little napkin right at the front of the table. And that same God has no problem walking through the walls you and I put up to keep him at arm's length. And he knows your name and he loves you. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And they've probably been telling them this for a whole week, right? Because the next verse says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, so all week long they've been telling him, no, seriously, we really saw him. He's like, sure you did, right? A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas in that moment says to him, my Lord 
and my God. In other words, he didn't say, hey, uh, Messiah, or hey, prophet, or hey, Rabboni, teacher. He didn't, he didn't say that. In that moment, he declares the deity of Christ. He was convinced. He put his faith and his trust in Jesus, and he said, I believe because of what I've seen. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What would it be like if Jesus walked in the room right now, came through the back doors, walked up front here, you got to see the nail scars in his hand, stuff in his side. Some of you might say, that would make me believe. But Jesus is saying, listen, there comes a time and a place where every person must make a decision of faith. There comes a time and a place when every person must, even if they've not seen me, they must choose to believe and to belong. And so he uses the word blessed. Blessed means that like you're blessed, you're, you're happy. Happy is the person who has not seen, but has taken that step of faith beyond their intellect and their skepticism and their doubt to believe. Well, you might be doubting and skeptical, but Jesus is able to walk through your doubts, reveal his identity, listen to your heart, and say, stop doubting and believe. Some of you in your search for faith have come to the end of your intellect. You've put the evidence out before you and you're letting skepticism or doubt keep you from making a heart connection. It's a barrier. That's what intellect does. It keeps us at time from feeling what's going on in the heart, but Jesus has no problem. He'll walk through that barrier. He doesn't need any help. He'll walk through out of his love to reveal himself to you and your intellect and say, here's all the empirical evidence. In fact, people who doubt the resurrection, they typically aren't historians. Because there's enough empirical evidence as to the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the first century people who experienced it, not only here in the written gospels, but in other works like the works of Josephus, historical analysis of that time, who was a contemporary of the gospel writers. There were others in historical writing who very much claimed the resurrection of the Christ. His enemies claimed the resurrection of the Christ and they tried to redirect people so they wouldn't believe in what they couldn't deny. But there comes this point in time when you and I have to look and say, is Jesus the way to salvation? Is Jesus the one by whom I'm saved? Well, Jesus is calling you today to say, believe and belong to my forever family. It's saying, my Lord and my God. Not just, did I believe he existed? Do I believe there's historical evidence? But it's taking that step of faith. See, faith is a movement of the heart, not a movement of the head. Because while we analyze and we think deeply and we think critically about all the evidence in front of us, there still comes, it's like, it's like Jesus has hit the home run and he's rounded every base and he's come all the way down to home plate and he said, I've given it all to you, I've laid it all out there, but you need to take the last step to come home and have a relationship with me. Because he's a gentleman and he won't force himself on you, but he extends himself to your heart Resurrection from the dead happened in a moment. The stone was rolled away. The grave clothes fell off. Jesus walked out of the tomb. Resurrection happened in the moment, but believing and belonging to Jesus Christ happens at different times for each person. For Mary Magdalene, it obviously was the same day. She didn't understand at first, but when she saw Jesus and he spoke her name, she believed and she belonged. For John and Peter, they both ran to the tomb and John believed right away. In that moment, he believed and he belonged. Peter, 
seem to believe later that night when all the disciples were overjoyed as Jesus appeared to them. For Thomas, it was a week later that Jesus appeared to him and he believed in that moment. For the Ethiopian national, it was soon after Jesus' ascension into heaven. For the apostle Paul, it was while he was raging and persecuting, killing and imprisoning Christians, fighting against the name of Christ, that Christ appeared and broke through his walls and his defenses and exposed Paul to the reality of his resurrection and said that moment that he believed and it totally turned his life around. For my grandpa, it was right after World War II. After serving in the war, he came back at home and when hope in many ways had been destroyed, he began to look and found Jesus Christ and he made a decision for Christ at that time. For me, it when I was roughly six years old, roughly 2,057 years after the resurrection. What about you? When is that individual moment for you? That individual time that you believe, that individual time that you belong, when does that happen for you? There's an individual time for each person. It might be different, but there's always a moment where you have to say, I choose to believe in Jesus and to belong to his forever family. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, why Jesus? Why Jesus as compared to, you know, why does Jesus bring hope as compared to other names or other religious experiences or philosophies? Why Jesus? Acts 4 verse 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, there's no other name under heaven or earth by which we are saved. You're not saved in the name of Buddha. You're not saved in the name of some other religion. You're not, na- you're not you know, saved under just a generic some, you know, name of God and think that everybody's saying the same name of God. It is Jesus Christ alone who hung on a cross, became the final sacrifice, paid for the sin of you and me on that cross, and it is by his name that we are saved. He is the one who rose from the dead as a sign and a seal that for those who put faith and trust in him after our death, we rise to eternal life in heaven with him and we have relationship with him in this life right now out of his great love. It's so interesting. The other people, even the critics and skeptics, they looked at these fishermen and tradesmen and they were astonished at the change going from these men who were hiding away and in fear to ones who were out proclaiming the good news of Jesus and held to that until their death. That these men were changed. Their life was transformed. They were radically different. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. And there are husbands in the room who are watching your wife have an adventure and a relationship with Jesus and, and you just, you're not on that adventure. You don't understand what's going on there. There are parents in the room who are saying, well, well my kid's very spiritual. They're more spiritual than I am. They're like the spiritual leader of our home. And, and what you're doing is, is you realize they're having an adventure, a relationship with a risen Jesus, and they're just ordinary people. You've known them your whole life, and they're just ordinary, but you are seeing their life be transformed by Jesus. You're taking note that they have been with Jesus. And there comes a point in time where you have to decide, will I believe and belong to God's forever family So you might realize that hope is there for you 
when you see other people being transformed, that you know that they've been with Jesus. And if they've been with Jesus and it's changing them, then just maybe hope could awaken in me that I could be with Jesus. Maybe he would accept me and, and he would love me like that as I'm realizing today. And that hope could be awakened to change the outcome of my life right now with the things I can't control and the death that's coming that I can't control. And I could believe and belong and be a part of his forever family. So you might be running around and marveling at all sorts of spiritual experiences, at, at arts, at powers, at crystals, at exercise, at signs and wonders, uh, e even just the energy of the universe. But you've not yet believed in Jesus Christ. Today he is saying believe and belong to God. You may be weeping and grieving and waiting for God to show up in your life and circumstances, but to only realize today that he has spoken your name and he's revealed his presence with you today. The response is to believe and belong. You might be hiding. You might be in fear. You might be hiding behind your shame and knowledge of all the wrong that you've done. You may put up walls in your life, but just as Jesus didn't need help getting out of grave clothes, he doesn't need help getting through the walls to speak to your heart. Believe and belong. And you might be doubting and skeptical, but Jesus has a way of walking through your doubts and skepticism, revealing his identity to your heart and say, stop doubting and believe. Why does John write this book? He says here in verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And listen, that by believing you may have life in his name. Come to life. Believe and belong. Why? Hope awakens. We're desperate for it. We're reaching for it. And Jesus reveals that ultimate hope is found with him. Why? Because with hope in Jesus Christ, you have the ability to rise above your circumstances now and to rise to new life after your death in eternity with him later on, fully accepted, fully loved. Real hope, saving hope, believe and belong with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, simply so that you're not distracting anybody around you and you're thinking about your own life. The question today is, have you taken that step of faith to believe and belong? Have you asked Jesus Christ, to, have you just come into a relationship with him to forgive you of your sin? Have you believed that what he did on the cross satisfied God's righteous anger against sin? And Jesus paid for all of it but he doesn't force himself on you. He says, you must believe and belong. If today you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord, you'd like to say yes to him. You're like, I don't even know what all that looks like, but today I'm believing to belong. Then you simply pray a prayer to him like this. You can pray it silently where you're at. He hears you, but you might pray like this after me. Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for it. I believe that you were buried in the ground and that you rose to new life and that you were God. Make me a new creation because today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand anywhere around the room? Just hold your hand up. We'd like to give you some information about the decision you made. Greatest decision you could ever make. By the way, if you have your hand up, you can uh, go ahead and, and uh, look up at me. I just want to let you know, someone had to stand on a stage and talk to me for me to get it and to understand it. Awesome. All the way there in the back. We've got one right up here in the front, you guys. If you'll head this way, I'll, I'll help you. Just hold your hand up and they'll find you. All the way in the front. That's great. Anywhere else around the room, 
anywhere in the back. Just keep holding your hand up. These people find you. They just want to give you some information that helps you understand the decision you're making today and how to walk in that. Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful to you. We love you. We thank you so much for new life. We thank you for being a risen God and that the fact that you rose from the dead births hope for us in this life and it gives us assurance that in the afterlife, you love us fully, you will accept us fully, God. You forgive us of all our sin. And so today, we just say you are our Lord. You are our God. We believe in you. We love you. Sun Grove Church, will you give it up for what God is doing among us? That's good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.